Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Today, I want to talk to you about living a thankful life and what that means for the believer in Christ. We're going to bounce around a little bit in the Word of God, but we start our time with Ephesians 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When Princess Diana died in that horrible car accident, a pastor was interviewed and was asked the question, how can God allow such a terrible tragedy? I absolutely love his response. He said, could it have had something to do with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a narrow tunnel? And then he said, just how exactly was God involved? Years ago, boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini He killed his Korean opponent with a hard right punch to the head. And at the press conference after the Korean's death, Mancini said, sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. In a letter to Dr. Dobson, a young woman asked this painful question. Four years ago, I was dating a man and became pregnant. I was devastated. I asked God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Susan Smith, the South Carolina mother, was the lady a few years back who pushed her car with her two sons into a lake so that they would drown and then made up a story blaming a car thief. She wrote in her confession, I dropped to the lowest point when I allowed my children to go down that ramp into the water without me. I took off running and screaming, Oh God, oh God, no, what have I done? Why did you let this happen? In October of 1991, a man by the name of George Hennard Jr. drove his pickup truck through a cafeteria window in Killeen, Texas, and then started randomly shooting people while they were having lunch before putting the gun to himself. He killed 24 people and wounded 22 more. And on the Oprah Winfrey show a few months later, one of the survivors told her account of the nightmare she went through on that day. Listen to what she said. A friend and I crawled under the table when we heard shots and screams. We could see him walking slowly about, firing his gun at will, coming closer to us. My friend and I clutched each other in fear. After moving our table, he fired a bullet into my friend's head, looked at me, and walked away. And then she concluded, I guess it was God's will that my friend died, and I lived. The question remains, is God the one who made the boxer hit a man in the head and kill him? 
Is God the one who told the man to kill one lady but let the other live? Was God the one who told some teenagers to give in to temptation in the back seat of a car? And exactly what role did God play when a woman drowns her own children? Is it God's fault? Was God the one who did these things? Or is it sinful human beings making poor choices, poor decisions based on poor thinking? With God allowing these things to take place because in his sovereignty, he will use tragic events like this for the greater good. There is a lot of confusion that exists today about the will of God. And the first thing I will tell you that we can be thankful for is that God's will for us has been revealed in his written word. Hebrews chapter one, it testifies God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Is not the New Testament the word of Christ? Is not the word of God his written record for mankind concerning his will among men? So when we talk in verse 17 of our text about understanding the will of the Lord, we need to put it into the light of the New Testament. We need to understand that what God's written word teaches us is his specific will for our lives. Take a look at the first phrase in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise. Now the wording, it means do not be a fool. Back up to verse 15. Notice the wording again. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And here again, we see this phrase, do not be unwise. Listen, I'm always after the original intent of the text. That's what I want to know. And I believe that Paul wanted the church to know that this is all about your focus. Your focus is either on Jesus Christ or your focus is on living for yourself. Even the things that we are thankful for should be different from the lost. Unbelievers tend to be thankful for stuff, for the things that they have. And certainly we are thankful for the provisions that God has given us. But I will tell you, I would rather have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and be homeless with nothing to my name than be a lost person that has everything this world offers, but without redemption in Jesus Christ. Be thankful for Christ. Be thankful for what he has done. Be thankful for the riches that we have in him. If your focus is on Jesus Christ, your focus, your passion, your constant consuming drive in life is to learn more about God, to learn more about his word, to learn more about his church, to learn more about his plan for mankind, to spend more time with him so that we can live in the center of his will. Now listen, please don't miss this. The more we renew our minds in the word of God and the more we pray in accordance with God's word, our human will, our desires, our focus begin to line up with God's will and God's desire in our lives. This is why David wrote in Psalm 37 verse four, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If we as believers delight ourselves in the will of God, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, the Lord will give us the desires of our heart because our desire will be to live for him. Our desire will be to worship him. Worship itself is an expression of our appreciation for the Lord. 
I think this is why Paul testified in Philippians 1 that to live is Christ. Paul's life was centered squarely on Jesus Christ. Let's make the principles of the Word of God our focus. Let us learn to make God's priorities our priorities. It starts by living for Christ right now. It starts by digging into the Word of God, not out of guilt, but because we want to, because we want to meet our precious Lord Jesus Christ in the study of His Word. If this is not a good enough motivation for us to open up our Bibles and meet Christ in His Word, then shame on us. The bottom line is that if you do not live according to the principles of God's Word, you're going to make some absolutely foolish decisions in life, and you're going to regret not spending more time walking with Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to spend time with the Creator in His written Word. This is how we understand the will of God, and this is how Paul has used this phrase in the context of Ephesians. Understanding in God's Word the great salvation He has given us, and understanding how that salvation should cause us to live. Head quickly to 1 Thessalonians 5. The subject matter at this point in the text is having an attitude of gratitude. The subject matter is how we should live as men and women who are truly grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for taking our place on the cross, taking our suffering, our shame. First Thessalonians 5, pick up our text with verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The application for us is that when a brother or sister in Christ is going through a tough spot in life, feel confident that the right thing to do is to remind them to rejoice in the Lord, even during the difficult times. Galatians 5, it teaches us that the joy of the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit, but at the same time, because Paul instructed us to rejoice always, we are to understand that we must take an active role in maintaining this joy in not allowing the world to rob the joy that comes to us in Christ. More than anyone in the entire world, because of all the blessings that we have in Christ, we always have a reason to rejoice. When the tough times come, focus on the blessings we have in Christ. Focus on our glorious future with Christ. And out of this, Paul told the church to pray without ceasing. Part of the wording used here was often used to describe a hacking cough that will not go away. Here the meaning in regard to prayer is continuous fellowship with the Lord that does not go away. The basic idea is that Paul understood that we must live our lives in constant fellowship with the Lord. The focus on prayer is not so much a concern about outward prayer as it is a concern by Paul that our hearts are continually turned to the Lord in constant fellowship and communication with Him. It's the quiet prayer, the one-sentence prayers, the two-sentence prayers of the heart, the constant and steady heart of the redeemed in Christ living in continued fellowship with the Lord. The man or woman in Christ who is always in constant prayer is a man or woman who is ready at all times to worship the Lord. Paul continued by reminding the church that in everything give thanks. You should be able to see how this flows out of the two commands just before this. The man or woman with the joy of the Lord and in constant prayer will no doubt be with a constant attitude of gratitude. 
A life united with God in Christ Jesus means a grateful heart to the Lord, no matter what situations may come our way. But I think the issue also comes back to trust. Trust in the Lord, trust in his plan, and trust in who he is. Because when we trust the Lord, then it is that we can truly be grateful. But notice this phrase at the end of verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now this statement, it ties back to all three commands to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Paul is telling us that God's desire for your life, God's plan for your life is constant prayer, the joy of the Lord, and an attitude of gratitude. This is God's desire for us in Christ Jesus. But the good news is, God has already enabled us and equipped us to live this way because of our union with Christ and because of the indwelling Spirit of God. Head back to our text in Ephesians. Notice again in our next verse, verse 18 in your text. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Focus in on the middle of the verse. Paul says that being drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Dissipation basically means self-destruction. Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus a warning that the lifestyle of being drunk, it will ruin your life. But the big question here is what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? A very poor and a very popular understanding today is that to be filled with the Spirit means that the Christian is like a cup that can have more or less of the Spirit of God. The idea is that we need to get more of the Spirit in order to stay filled. If that is your understanding, my apologies, but that is simply incorrect. That is not what the Word of God teaches. Now, part of the reason for the confusion is because in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, our English translations tell us they were filled with the Spirit. And then they went on to speak in tongues and carry out the ministry of the apostles. But if you look at the word that is used here in verse 18 of our text, fulfilled, it's a completely different word with a different intended meaning. At Ephesus, the people would get drunk as they worshiped some of the pagan gods. And so Paul was putting forth a contrast saying, don't be controlled by the alcohol, but instead submit yourself to the control of the spirit of God in your life. The wording means to be directed, influenced, or governed by the Spirit of God. And if you look ahead at our text in verses 19 through 21, the Greek, it clearly indicates this is what that will look like. In other words, verses 19 through 21 describe for us what being governed by the Spirit of God looks like in the life of a believer. Being governed by the Spirit of God, it means worship of the Lord. It means giving thanks to the Lord and submitting to one another in the fear of God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 16. And as we look at this text in Colossians, compare in your minds with what we see in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. Verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. This is the key phrase. We'll come back to this in a minute. But look at what he says next. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
The command in this passage is the first phrase, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And the rest is almost the same as what we see in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. And therefore, here's what I'm telling you. There is a direct correlation between letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and the command in Ephesians 5 to let the Spirit of God govern our lives. These passages are related, and so we must understand that the teaching is for us as believers to yield ourselves to the control of the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God works in our hearts and minds through His Word. And the end result is that our lives will be brought into conformity with the will of God. Now, this brings us back to verse 18 in Ephesians 5. The command by Paul to be filled by the Spirit of God, it means to be governed by the fullness of Christ in our lives. This is the foundational truth that will enable us to live the way that Christ intends us to live. I was reading this past week about a football game, but not just any old football game. In this game were high school kids, all of whom were deaf. Now, when I first started reading about this, I thought to myself, now how in the world do they do this? I mean, let's think about this. How does this happen? How do they hear the plays that are being called from the sideline? How do they know when the quarterback hikes the ball, since every single kid on the field is deaf? What they do is that they all go out on the field and look at the coach. And the coach, he uses sign language. And from the sideline, he signs in the plays. Then all at once, they nod, they take their positions, and then they watch the quarterback. When he puts his hands down, the ball is snapped, and they take off. But the part that was the most interesting to me was how they substitute players from the sideline. Every kid there wants to play football, but with all these players on the sideline, the coach can't simply call out a player's name when it's time for them to go in the game. The coach doesn't have the time to run around and chase each player down every time he wants to substitute a player. So what they do is as soon as the play is done and the guy with the ball is tackled, every single kid on the sideline looks to the coach. And if the coach doesn't motion for them to go in the game, then they watch the next play. And when it is done, every single player turns again and looks to the coach. One play at a time. For hour after hour, the only way the kids know if they will get in the game is if they constantly turn their eyes towards the coach. When I read that article, my prayer in my own life was, Lord, help me. Help me to be like those kids, constantly keeping my eyes on Christ, one play at a time. I ask you, what is the goal of the Christian faith? Is it just to be holy? Is the goal just to try to minimize the sin in our lives as much as we can? Is the goal to learn more head knowledge about the Bible, or is the goal of the Christian life to know Jesus Christ? I suggest to you that this is the goal. This is what it is all about, a living relationship with our Lord and Savior. Yes, we need to witness. Yes, we need to worship, to learn God's Word, and certainly we should avoid sin. But these things come. They come from knowing Christ. 
by spending time in prayer, spending time in his word, and allowing the Spirit of God to govern us. The focus, it needs to be not on a list of things we must do. The focus needs to be on our daily walk with Christ, living in close fellowship with the Savior. Let me explain what I mean by saying allowing the Spirit of God to govern us. Do not think of it that we are controlled by the Spirit of God in the same way that a hand controls a glove. But instead, the idea is that we are governed much like a speed limit sign that controls how fast we drive. We choose to obey the signs on the highway of life. We choose to subject ourselves to that authority. We choose to yield ourselves to the written instructions found in Christ's holy word. So as we let the word of Christ dwell within us, then we come to understand the will of God. The Holy Spirit applies God's eternal truth to our hearts, and as we yield to it, we allow ourselves to be governed by it. We experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and our lives begin to look like verses 19 through 21 in our text. The key to it all is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you and letting the Spirit of God govern your life. Turn again to the book of Colossians, this time head to chapter 2. And as you turn to Colossians 2, let me remind you that in chapter 1, Paul had already told the church that his desire for the believers was to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would increase their knowledge of God, and that they would be thankful for their redemption in Christ. But notice what he tells them in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Receiving Christ Jesus the Lord is justification, referring back to when they first received the gospel of Christ. Walking in Christ or living in Christ is sanctification, living in fellowship with God. How had they first received the gospel? By faith. How should they be living out their Christian lives by faith. Jesus Christ is not only the object of our faith, but it is in him that we should live out our lives. Now, verse 7 is an awesome verse. Read it again with me. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul uses four participles to convey his point. The first three are passive, telling us that Paul is talking about the power of God, God doing these things. By using the passive, Paul is telling us that God is the one rooting. God is the one building and strengthening. But the last participle, where he talks about thanksgiving, this is active. So it's talking about our responsibility. This should be our attitude towards God. Thankfulness for the grace of God at work in our lives. But stick with me, there's more in this verse, in the first part of verse 7, where Paul talks about being rooted. That's what's known as a perfect participle. That means Paul is referring to something that has already occurred in the past, but the effects of it continue into the present. So in verse 7, where Paul talks of being rooted, he's saying that when we became Christians, when we were converted to Christ, at that moment, we were once and for all rooted in Christ Jesus, and that affects us all throughout our lives. 
The term rooted here, it isn't referring to a plant, but rather what is implied is that of a building so that when a person accepts Christ as Savior, they become rooted in Christ. That is their foundation. That is the support that holds up their entire lives. It provides a solid base for everything we do. Next, God builds us up. As we let the Spirit govern our lives, the Spirit of God brings growth. And out of that growth comes strength. Or as the New King James puts it, established in the faith. The result of this growth, the result of being established in the faith, is that the believer in Christ ought to be living with a grateful attitude. Giving thanks to God for all he has done ought to be on the tip of our tongues. And it ought to be the song of our lives. The text says, abounding in thanksgiving, or as the New American Standard says, overflowing in thanksgiving. That should be our response for the great love shown to us. But the key to it all is back in verse 6, walking in Christ, allowing the Spirit of God to govern our lives and letting the Word of Christ to dwell in us. So head back to our text in Ephesians and notice how this fits in. Notice what it looks like when a believer in Christ lives a spirit-controlled life in Christ. Verse 19 in your text, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Being governed by the Spirit of God leads to the life Christ wants us to live. It leads us to an attitude of giving thanks. It leads to worship of God. These are the things that should be seen in the life of a believer who is governed by the Spirit of God. The phrase, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it means essentially singing songs and making music. Notice that Paul tells the church to speak to one another, meaning that not only is our worship directed towards the Lord, but our worship is also directed towards one another. Our worship is not just about what God has done for us, but it should be also about building up the believers and encouraging believers in their service to Christ. Notice the end of the verse. Paul writes, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The idea being expressed with the word for heart, it means to sing with your whole being, your whole person. In other words, it shouldn't be just lip service when we come to worship the Lord. Worship starts by us yielding to the Spirit of God. Worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings, but worship is how you live your life. And therefore, in the depths of our very being as believers in Christ, we should be filled with songs of praise as an expression of the glorious life that we now experience in Christ because of the redemption and eternal life that we have received. So the idea, if we put verse 19 all together, is that Christians that are yielded to the Spirit of God, we should long to come together to worship the Lord and build up one another in the faith through the singing of songs that praise the name of our God. Now we see in verse 20 that not only will the life that is yielded to the Spirit of God cause us to worship, but it should cause us to be humble and aware of the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ, which should cause us to live with that attitude of gratitude. Both 
when we come together as a church and in our own lives, our minds and our hearts should be filled with an attitude of thanksgiving to the Lord. This attitude of thankfulness to the Lord, it should pour out of us. It should radiate from us. We should be overflowing with this constant desire to give thanks to our Lord. Focus in with me on the last part of verse 20. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you couple this with the Spirit of God in verse 18, we have a powerful testimony in these verses of the triune God. Now, before we close out our text, notice with me that our last verse, verse 21, it teaches us that a life lived, yielded to the Spirit of God, means that we will live in submission to one another, in love. And the motivation for doing so is the last few words of verse 21, where Paul says, in the fear of God. When God controls us, we have a humble attitude in Christ. I was reading some excerpts the other day out of the biography of a very remarkable woman. And I was reading just parts of a letter that she wrote to her grandfather when she was eight years old. Now keep in mind, when this little girl was born, someone put the wrong drops in her eyes by mistake and she was blind. And as she writes the following, she is eight and still blind. Her mother had taken her to New York to a couple of eye specialists. They had come back home. And it is then that she writes this letter. Dear Gramps, have you got your hat on? Take it off. This news is going to knock your hat off. Gramp, do you know where I went? I went to New York. Do you know Mama wouldn't let me go on the Women's Guild picnic because it was down on the Hudson River on a boat? She was afraid because I was blind and I might get hurt. Do you know how I went to New York? Down the Hudson River on a boat. I did, and I didn't get hurt. But, oh, Gramp, New York was wonderful. I heard the cloppity-clop of the horses' hooves on the cobblestone streets. And I heard the trash cans rattling down the streets. Mama said I saw more of New York with my ears and fingers than she did with her eyes. And Dr. Mott and Dr. Delafield, they were the doctors. They were gentle men. Not gentlemen, Gramp, but gentle men. Dr. Mott took me up on his lap and let me get acquainted with his face, with my fingers. He had a gentle face, Gramp. It was soft like old wrinkled leather. It was like your face. It was beautiful. And then they put my head in a machine and they screwed it down tight and said, could I see? And said lots of long words. And then they told Mama that I would never see again. Mama cried. I heard her blow her nose. And they patted my head and said, poor little girl, you know, like people do. And they shook hands and I thanked them and we got back on the boat and went home. Mama says I got to stop now. I'm dictating this letter to her. Read my happy poem. It's called Happy Poem to My Gramps. And this is the poem that she wrote. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I'm resolved that in this world contented I will be. So many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. So sigh and cry because I'm blind. I just can't. And I won't. Gramps, do you know why it's a happy poem? It's a happy poem because after I got on the boat and it was dark and Mama fell asleep and there was nobody there but God, I cried. I cried because I'm blind, because there was no hope for me. And I said, God, I mind being blind but not so very much because I know you'll take care of me. 
but there is something I do mind very much, God. I haven't got a job to do. That I mind. Everybody I know is going to school and the kids are studying and they're going to be doctors and nurses and teachers and get married and have children and teach and have jobs. God, don't go past me. I've got poems in me. I've got music in me. Please don't go by me, God. If you would give me a job to do, I don't care what it is. I promise you this night that I will do it with all my heart. Gramp, do you know what? God answered me. He did. I can tell you things like this and you'll understand. Other people pat me on the head and say, God bless you, but you know what I mean. God answered me. He said, Fanny Jane Crosby, don't be discouraged. I've got a job for you to do. He hasn't told me what it is yet, but as soon as he does, I'm going to do it with all my heart. I've given him myself and he's going to give me a job to do. Mama says I've got to stop. It's past supper time. Goodbye, your loving granddaughter, Fanny J. Crosby. P.S. Do you know what? I know the whole first four books of the New Testament by heart, and I know the whole first four books of the Old Testament by heart. And Mama says I don't make one mistake. Gramps, do you think that God could use a little girl like me? With all my love, Fanny. The first school for the blind was set up in all places, New York City. Fanny Crosby was sent there. She had a remarkable IQ. She had been taught by a Christ-honoring grandmother, a Christ-honoring mother, and a Christ-honoring Sunday school teacher. She got out of college in three years, and then she got a job teaching there, the youngest teacher ever to teach at that school. She fell in love with a blind music student, and they had 40 years of wonderful marriage together. She wrote thousands of hymns. And as long as you and I live, we will be singing hymns written by Fanny Crosby. She was invited to speak at both houses of Congress. She got a standing ovation and a standing invitation to come back at any time that she wanted. All the big shots from Congress would stop at the little school in Brooklyn on their way to other places and would stop and visit with her. She had a wonderful life where she accomplished many great things, all because she learned to ask God not for a career, not for a husband, not for a job or fame, not for clothes, money, or anything else. She asked the Lord for a job to do, and she didn't care what it was. She gave God a blank check for her life. She said, God, give me a job to do. I swear this night I will do it with all my heart. This is the prayer that will put you back on the road to rediscovering your first love, Jesus Christ. When we start looking for God to do what he wants in our lives. We will grow. We will mature in our knowledge of him. We will be united in our faith. We will speak the truth and love, and the body of Christ will be built up and edified. Our lives will become a living testimony of gratitude to the Lord. Maybe you find yourself needing to pray, to ask God to help you find your spiritual gift, to ask God to help you use that gift to serve him. Maybe you need to ask God for a job to do, committing to do it with all your heart. Why don't you give God a blank check for your life? Return to the Word is a listener-supported ministry. 
And truthfully, it is people like you, those who listen each week, that God uses to help us meet the expense of a ministry dedicated to reaching people for the gospel of Christ and the teaching of God's Word. And so I want to take a moment to thank those that support the work, even those that give $5 a month or $10 a month, because those smaller donations, they add up. And we thank you because it keeps the programs free of charge so that others may learn of God's amazing grace. If you'd like to help us out, you can find out more at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.